Before we get into today's episode, I want to let you know that this episode will talk about a mother's experience with stillborn birth. If you are sensitive to this subject, this episode may not be for you right now. Also, I've noticed that most of the episodes I've posted lately are about sensitive subjects, but I also want to point out that no matter how uncomfortable it might be for you or for myself or for regular conversation, these are conversations we need to have as a society. It's okay to be uncomfortable because that's where growth begins. So I invite you to be uncomfortable so that we can grow together if you're ready And if you're not ready, that's okay too. In that moment of four, now my baby's three to four months old and he was crying. And I decided in that moment when I kind of zoomed out that perspective taking skill of act to like the compassion, you know, sort of also that compassion moment for myself and for others and feeling connected to other individuals that have lost to give up trying to make him stop crying and to start bonding with him. And, and that's what I did. Like, I really was like, I am letting, like, it is no longer my job to get you to stop crying. My job is to love you, little dude, and love you (laughs) with your screaming face in the middle of the night. And it it did not change his crying, but it totally Mm -hmm. changed my relationship with it. Mm -hmm. And I really feel like it was, it was liberating. Hello, welcome to The Vibrant Introvert, the show about real people experiencing introversion and social anxiety, their stories of transformation and change, and how they thrive in their daily lives, all told through the lens of acceptance and commitment therapy. I'm Gabby Lanier, a board-certified behavior analyst and social anxiety life coach. So the other day, I was in the grocery store with my son Matthew and my daughter Alice. My daughter Alice, who's about four months old now, So picture this, I feel triumphant because I have almost everything on my grocery list. My son Matthew, who is insisting on helping, he's holding the cart, he's pushing Alice in it, and he's kind of weaving his way down the bread aisle. And then all of a sudden, my daughter Alice, she starts to scream. Matthew, he rushes to the side of the cart and he tries to pop in her pacifier, because usually that helps, but she doesn't take it this time. And I can see her face is starting to get really red and her tongue is just starting to kind of stab the air in between shrieks. And we become this sort of military operation, Matthew and I. We, get, we both look each other in the eyes. We kind of know what each other is thinking. And I tell him, I say, okay, Matthew, look at me. We got to finish this. We're going to get out of here quick, but you need to give me the cart and do exactly as I say. And he looks at me and he says, okay, mommy. So we rush through getting the last few items, and then finally we get into the checkout line. Alice is still screaming, by the way, and I'm feeling fine at this point. You know, not great, but I'm, I'm thinking, you know, whew, what else can you do, you know? I shrug, I look at the cashier, and I'm not really caring who hears her scream at this point. And then I get out my wallet, and I pop in my credit card to the machine, And then out of the corner of my eye, I see Matthew, he pushes the grocery cart away from me with Alice in it. And they're they're going about 10 feet away at this point. And then I instantly snap. (laughs) I yell at him. My anger is just exploding out as I rush toward him. You know, like seriously, I'm thinking how unhelpful. The cashier, they try to make small talk with me. 
And then the bagger, he asks if I want to double bag my groceries. I am livid. I can barely contain the fury. The urge to bail and get out of there is so strong. Fused. I was totally fused. Fused to the anger. Fused to the thought. I have to get out of here. Guys, this is exactly what it's like to be totally fused in the moment. Nothing else matters than getting out of that damn store and stop hearing your daughter scream. I would have done anything for that moment of discomfort to end. Can you relate to this? Maybe it's not a screaming baby. Maybe it's, you know, hair in your eye. Or maybe it's going to your partner's office party and having to make small talk. Whatever it is, discomfort is everywhere. And sometimes it's unexpected. And sometimes there's nothing you can do to make it stop. You just have to get through it. This is what our storyteller today, Diana Hill, dealt with as a mother. Diana is an act-based psychologist, a mom, a fellow podcaster, and author. Diana will share how she experienced a crying, colicky baby and the many discomforts it came with and learn how to form a new relationship with the crying, with the discomfort, with her son, and with her past grief. See how she made space for discomfort and how that little bit of space changed everything. Hi, Diana. It's nice to have you here. Welcome to the Vibrant Introvert Podcast. Take a moment and say hello and introduce yourself. Sure. Well, it's wonderful to be here and uh, with you and your baby. I'm a psychologist in Santa Barbara and also a mom of two boys. And I both do uh, individual counseling, but also I'm uh, part of a podcast called Psychologist Off the Clock. And recently have come out with a new book with Debbie Sorensen called Act Daily Journal. That is so awesome. You know, I don't think I knew that you had a podcast, Diana. I'm going to have to check it out. Yeah, it's it's a podcast. There's four of us, four psychologists, and we're called okay. Psychologists Off the Clock. And we have had a lot of folks um, on about ACT on it. So it would be a great place for people to check out if they're interested in learning more about ACT. Oh, that's so awesome. Okay. So everyone should check that out. And you mentioned the new book that just came out. And so I want to give you a chance at the end of your interview, your story to tell folks a little bit more about that piece. Um, But before we get there, I'd love to go ahead and just dive right into your story, Diana. And so before we're meeting here today. We, we chatted a little bit beforehand and talked about some different stories that you were thinking of telling. Um, and you ended up landing on a story that is very personal, like all these stories are, around your second baby. If you were to pinpoint a place to start with your story, where would you start? Yeah, well, you know, I, I homeschooled my, my second grader this year, and I learned a lot about uh, writing with him in terms oh. of there's a beginning, there's a middle and there's an end. And I actually think yes. a good place to start <laughs> with this story is in the middle. Uh, for me, the middle of the story was when I gave birth to my, my youngest son, who's now eight. And when he came out of the womb in the hospital, he started crying. And he kept crying for pretty much the first almost four months, every pretty much every waking moment that he was awake, he was screaming. 
I tried everything under the sun to try and get him to stop crying. And at first it was really out of concern for his health, right? Going to the doctor and doing all the elimination diets, not eating garlic or nightshades or dairy or yeah. soy and all those, all those things that we try. But then it really just became uh, about getting him to stop crying because it was so dysregulating for me. Mm -hmm. And I would wake up in the morning and strap him on and walk in circles, walk around. I kept on moving. I bounced. I walked. Um, I remember there was this memory of walking around my kitchen table with my older son, his head like circling around, right? Mom is just not stopping. Walking outside <laughs> of the library because my baby was crying and I didn't want. There's a lot of shame around that, like yeah. having this new baby and what's wrong? Like, why, why can't you go anywhere? And then also, why is your baby always crying? And um, it became, it was actually quite exhausting, but also uh, it became like, almost like a, that was my full-time job to get him to stop. Yeah. And uh, I think of it as sort of this experience of really non-acceptance in a lot of ways. I mean, there's, uh, in some ways, I think people probably could relate to maybe not a baby crying all the time, but their own anxiety screaming at them or, mm -hmm. you know, an eating, I've worked with eating disorders for many years of an eating disorder voice screaming in your head and just wanting to get rid of it and make it go away. And at some point along the way, I mean, he think he was probably three months old and I remember uh, holding him and realizing that I had been so busy trying to get him to stop crying. I just really hadn't bonded with him. I didn't know who this baby was. A real sense of, uh, I didn't even feel connected to him, which is kind of, I think some parents that experience postpartum mm -hmm. have had that experience. It's, it's a shameful one to, to feel that. Like, I don't feel connected to this baby. I know I love him in my mind, but I'm not feeling that feeling mm -hmm. in my body. And uh, I, at that moment, I, I also realized that all these attempts to trying to get him to stop crying was really preventing me from being the, the mom that I, that I wanted to be or the mom that I had hoped to be. And it really was sort of, you know, thinking about ACT, um, sort of two things that I feel like I needed right then. One was the acceptance component of really listened to my doctors that were saying there's nothing really you can do he needs to just kind of grow out of this um i i also needed a to take a moment to look at like what this was really about for me and so i said we started at the middle but it it helps to go back to the beginning of of why this had become such like an obsession mm -hmm. and it it really traced back to for me um over a year prior when i had had a stillborn and that whole pregnancy was one where I had bonded. I had deeply mm -hmm. bonded with the pregnancy and um, with the baby. And I had spent a lot of months going in and out of um, going into the hospital because I would be bleeding and then everything would be okay. And then it wouldn't be okay and ended up um, delivering him uh, premature, prematurely. And he didn't, there was no way that he could make it. It was way too early. Oh. And when- I'm so sorry, Diana. It, it it was um, incredibly painful, but it was actually an experience where I felt like I was practicing all the acceptance and compassion skills during that time. In the hospital, they asked if, if we wanted to hold him. And I remember that moment of saying yes, and the decision to say yes was 
really an important one for me and my partner to hold our baby and they mm -hmm. give you they gave us like this blanket and this little hat that someone knitted and this little bracelet and they took um, stamps of his feet I remember receiving those those items and being like someone that came up with this has been through this <laughs> like who is the person that knit this hat it's someone that's lost a baby and that's what they do now is they they knit the hats for the babies that are lost right and um but the other thing that they that they don't that they don't tell you when you go through um a loss like this is that i had gone through the loss of of the baby but my body thought that i had delivered a baby so yeah. when i went home from the hospital my milk came in mm. i would wake up in the middle of the night looking for a baby to feed and that set off this whole slew of like where's my baby i need to find my baby feeling mm -hmm. inside inside of me mm -hmm. that actually led me to get pregnant really really i got pregnant again with this this new child really quickly and so when he came out crying <laughs> it wasn't just him right it, like it wasn't just him that i heard the cry of it was like the loss that um, oh. i had heard that I that I was still that was still kind of with me from this the beginning of the story, and then I also and as I've reflected on it over time is that that loss wasn't just my loss it was the loss of my friends that had experienced miscarriages or experienced not being able to have children it was the loss of my mother who had I remember being eight years old and her losing having a miscarriage and you know seeing her belly and then not seeing her belly anymore and. Mm -hmm. Um, and the losses, the sort of ancestral grief that Francis Weller talks about that is like of, of many that have lost a child and in different ways. Uh, and, and of course, the tendency for, you know, my comparing mind is to be like, my loss isn't as bad as my clients lost who lost yeah. their 20 year old child or their five year old child. I did. Right. I went through all of that. But, but that's where in that moment of for now my baby's for three to four months old and he was crying and I decided in that moment when I kind of made like kind of zoomed out that perspective taking skill of act to like zoom out the compassion you know sort of also that compassion moment for myself and for others and feeling connected to other individuals that have lost to give up trying to make him stop crying and to start bonding with him and and that's what I did. Like, I really was like, I am letting, like, it is no longer my job to get you to stop crying. My job is to love you, little dude, and love you <laughs> with your screaming face in the middle of the night. <laughs> and it, it did not change his crying, but it totally mm -hmm. changed my relationship with it. Mm -hmm. And I really feel like it was, it was liberating. Let's pause for a minute. Diana has done such a great job of describing her experience of non-acceptance, what we sometimes also call experiential avoidance in this framework of acceptance and commitment therapy. You've heard about this in other episodes, including the story by Kimberly Lonick in episode two. This experiential avoidance of discomfort is totally understandable, totally, utterly human. I mean, why would we choose to embrace discomfort? Why would we choose to experience pain? Well, so let's think about that for a moment. Why did Diana choose discomfort? Why did she choose to experience pain? 
Why did she choose to let go of that full-time job of getting her son to stop crying? If she did manage to get him to stop crying, it might have given her that temporary relief, and that's what she was kind of looking for, right? But what happened when it didn't go away? What happened when she couldn't get him to stop crying? Can you see the tremendous effort it takes, the energy we put into this goal of getting rid of something, only to have it come right back? What does that effort cost us in the end? And what is this work around acceptance of discomfort anyhow? What does it actually look like? I was thinking about my own experience with discomfort, and it's more than these kind of one-off moments, like I described earlier in the grocery store anecdote earlier in this episode. And in all reality, my daughter, you know, she did stop crying. So it was discomfort, but it's not the kind of discomfort that we're kind of talking about here, kind of this level that Diana is describing. And don't get me wrong, having your baby cry in a grocery store is totally uncomfortable and totally valid, but I kind of want us to go a little bit deeper here. What is the kind of discomfort that we are most challenged by? It may not look as dramatic on the outside. The discomfort, like Diana describes, is actually occurring on the inside privately in our own mind. It looks like that struggle that she's talking about. Diana, she mentioned how her crying baby can be akin to the screaming in our own minds when it comes to difficult thoughts and feelings, and akin to the experience of a person who has, for example, an eating disorder or anxiety. To me, it's very, very similar to my experience with social anxiety. The thoughts, they blare at me like a screaming baby might, and they feel as powerful, and my reaction to it is just as strong. But what if we made space? In that way, we can practice this idea of acceptance in that tiny, tiny bit of space between our thought and our reaction. By creating this bit of space, we can see that the thought is in fact separate from us. And in that space, we might even have a choice about what we want to do about that little bit of discomfort. So I invite you to do a a short exercise with me. And if you're driving, just listen along. Please don't close your eyes. But if you do have a moment... It only takes about two or three minutes. Let's actually close our eyes and take a moment to pause and practice. So if you're ready, go ahead and softly close your eyes, sitting up straight and taking a deep breath in through your nose and out through your mouth. Take another deep breath in, letting your lungs expand and then letting it out, letting them contract back down. Do a scan from head to toe and see if you can identify any discomfort. Maybe it's an itch or a pain or some sensation that's just not pleasant. Or maybe it's a nagging thought or an uncomfortable emotion. Look deeply into that feeling. Zoom out and zoom in like a curious scientist. Describe it. Maybe even visualize it. 
and holding that visual in your mind, breathe again, this time making space for it in your body. Creating a little bit of space between it and you, but not pushing it away. Right now, we are making space, making space for our discomfort. Again, we're putting space between you and your thought, you and a feeling, you and an urge, you and the discomfort. Let's take another deep breath in. We are expanding our bodies physically to make space. And in that space, sit with the discomfort present with you. And ask yourself, what if I were to occasionally slow down like this when I am feeling discomfort, showing up fully present? What if I were to acknowledge it head on? And ask yourself, what would it mean for me to sit with this discomfort without changing anything? By letting go of the effort to push it away, what choice am I given with this newfound freedom to pursue my greatest desires? And alternatively, what would be the most self-compassionate way to respond to this discomfort right now? And with those questions kind of just fading away into the background, I invite you to take one last breath in and out. Coming back to this moment here and now by opening your eyes. And I invite you to return to this episode, this story, and let's go back to what Diana is going to say around her discomfort, how she turned into it, how she made a little bit of space for that discomfort, and what important choices she is able to make when she does this and how this then translates into other parts of her life as well. And now I have such a special bond with him. I am not in that, that mode of needing him to be different from, from who he is. Of course, I get support when he needs support or resources if he needs resources, but it's not about trying to fix who he is or to, what's more important, not to fix the discomfort that I feel under my skin as a mother, because that discomfort points to something that's really important. And sometimes I need, I need to go and like explore that, make space for it. 
it's like you did that work really, really early on that acceptance of your child, not trying to change him. Yeah. 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 And it's like every um, mother has to go through that in some form or another, if they have a a difficult child or, or maybe even not a difficult child, maybe those, those acceptance pieces come later on when they're maybe not children anymore, (laughs) but you had to do that so early with him. And I think it's, I think it's, it's also just the acceptance of the discomfort in myself. Yeah. So the, the acceptance of the discomfort of what do people think if I have a screaming baby, mm-hmm. right? Like that's more about what's happening in my world, not as much about him, right? Or the discomfort. Now it's like, it's not the, it's not the sound of my child screaming. It's the sound of my children bickering in the back of the car yep. <laughs> that I can go into <laughs> You know, as you're as they get older, it's like, oh no, that sound is the worst sound that I can hear. And if I go into fixing or trying to get rid of that sound, it actually may push around how I am as a parent, as opposed to being able to say, okay, what's uncomfortable about this for me right now? And probably if my children are bickering in the back of the car, there's also something uncomfortable that's happening for them. And can I connect with that? And as long as I'm caught up in fixing the discomfort of whatever the moment that I'm in. I I don't have those, like, I don't have my hands, hands or energy to do that important work. Wow. I really love the, dis- the distinction you're making right now, because I think we can really, really, really get caught up in that other person and what that other person is doing and their behavior <laughs> when really it is, it's our, it's us. It comes, it starts with us. And when we respond differently to what they're doing, it can change the entire dynamic and our experience of it. Yeah. So in terms of your relationship with your, so it would be your second child, your stillborn child. Um, Have you, through this experience, have you been able to kind of go back and think of that child or connect with that child even now? Oh, absolutely. We, um, in my living room, we have a little, I have a little altar space where we keep our special things and, Mm -hmm. um, we keep his special things there. I, I also, in our family, we all have what we call our spirit animals. And so each of us (laughs) have kind of identified like, what's our, what's our animal that, that we're, we're drawn to, or gives us courage, or we've seen in important times. And so, my um my youngest son his is a heron because we have a heron that visits our property and um, the heron comes around his his birthday and then my (laughs) um, my partner my husband his is a a red-tailed hawk and then my other son is a butterfly but for for my stillborn son the day that i was that i was leaving um there was these little rabbits and there was this little rabbit that was just hovering sort of outside on our lawn and i remember looking at the rabbit and driving away and and I have we live in this these foothills of Santa Barbara with just a lot of wildlife here and mm-hmm. whenever I see rabbits I'm connected to him it just reminds me of his mm-hmm. presence I know that mm-hmm. when I've worked with other folks that have gone through grief oftentimes having that sort of talisman or that that mm-hmm. memory that reminder that you're present with me even though you're not here in all of our lives or have different different lengths so it's very much been it's something that my children know about it's something that mm-hmm. um I believe in talking about grief and that being 
part of their experience. And that's also part of us, you know, having chickens and, and, and animals is that we lose things, 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 things die and being able to talk about and hold space for the feelings that show up around that is, is part of the healing. I think there's a natural curiosity in children about death. And I think it's, it's parents discomfort with, they don't want to make their child feel uncomfortable. I mean, whether we're talking mm -hmm. about death or we're talking about racism or we're talking yeah. about sex or we're talking about all these things that are uncomfortable conversations to have, we, we shy away from. And, and then it becomes sort of a disservice to our children because, or to each other, because I want my kids to be able to have conversations about all these different things when they're when i'm not there i want them to be able to step into the discomfort of the conversation and i think that with in particular on the topic of miscarriage and women and uh, women's reproduction and this has been historically something that has been shamed or hidden away or we don't talk about and as soon as for me part of the Com like having conversations with women, once you start to move into um, having children and, and you just start to hear the stories like this is this is all over yeah. the place. Like people yes. are uh, so many people have been through this in different ways or infertility or, you know, just sort of questioning about being a mother, all these things that are just sort of the process just sort of the process of living but because it's uncomfortable to talk about we don't talk about or because historically these yeah. aren't appropriate conversations right. to be had i really like what you're saying around like just how it's kind of ingrained in us and like our culture you know and my 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 parents were raised this way to you know shy away from uncomfortable topics but i love what you're doing in terms of you know really modeling and teaching to your kids of how to how to have a new relationship with discomfort, how to have a relationship with grief in which we aren't shying away and we're actually opening up and having those conversations. That's just so cool. And that's just one way that you're doing it. I know that there's probably many other ways too. So I, I guess that's something that, um, you know, we, I think we can evolve within mm -hmm. our own families over time and we can evolve to enter into conversations that are more, honest and authentic and moving towards discomfort so that we can support each other because life is uncomfortable. That's the guarantee. They're going to experience big losses, bigger losses than our little hamster that we lost recently. <laughs> so it's good to have conversations, like it's good to have conversations about the hamster loss so that, or the, you know, mom's loss so that we can, um, I guess, teach them how to navigate the discomfort of living. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for this conversation, Diana. I really appreciate that you were willing to share this. I know when we first talked, it was <laughs> it was uncomfortable, right? Because it's sad. And at the same time, I feel like there's so much value in just bringing it up and sharing it because I'm sure many people out there who will listen to this now or in the future will connect to this story and will likely reach out to you because they've had a similar experience. Well, thank you for the opportunity to share it and your, your willingness and openness to create a podcast like this where stories are stories are told because that is also part of our our ancestry, right? It's just humans are storytellers mm -hmm. and it's a way that we can connect and understand and feel not alone in our experiences. And I think for for me as a psychologist, um, it's a it's always this sort of like fine line to walk 
mm. right? Of, of how mm-hmm. much to share of myself in, in the world and my own history. And then also knowing that if I don't, then I'm putting myself in some like category that's separate, right? So, mm-hmm. um, so I'm doing more and more of that these days, mainly because I just want to model that for others to do as well. Yeah. Yeah. And this is just one opportunity for you to do that, to just be human, you know, to make these experiences, humanizing experiences. Um, And before we, before we say goodbye, Dana, I would love for you to go ahead and share out on that new resource that you have available that um, act journal. Yeah, it's a um, Act Daily Journal is written by Debbie Sorensen, who's my my friend first and podcast <laughs> co-host second, and now uh, this journal third. And it it walks you through um, Act in in each of the six core processes, but we added on one which is self compassion, uh, intentional use of time, and compassion, which is the first thing that we do in the journal. And each week has a story. It has a story from our personal life of how either we've used ACT or a metaphor of how we've used ACT. And then it gives um, space to journal on um, the concepts of each day, which relate to the six core processes, which are acceptance and cognitive fusion and uh, being present and perspective taking, uh, committed action and values. And so each week you go through that process and try it on for yourself. And we really um, tried it on for ourselves. We were hoping people that maybe don't have access to therapy or for folks that are in therapy and want something more structured to use orthotherapy and then also therapists themselves so that they're working on their own psychological flexibility. Awesome. Oh, I'm so excited about that. And I am a journaler, Diana, Um, hardcore journaler, (laughs) like every day for the last several years. And um, I would love, I don't know if this is possible, but I would love to see if you'd be willing to donate a copy to a listener. Sure. Okay. Yeah, Maybe we'd love to. Yeah. I'll figure out a way to decide who that person might be. Um, but I and myself, I'm going to buy a copy and I'm excited to try yours out. Great. Well, that would be wonderful to share it. And for those that aren't journalers, it's designed to take like two to three minutes a day, which was the other thing that we wanted as working moms. We're like, there's no way, (laughs) there's no another to do to people out there. That's not the intention of this. So we hope that you're with it and compassionate with yourself. It doesn't take up a ton that it's that you can build little tiny moves into your daily life. Lovely. Okay. Well, thank you again. And I can't wait to get this work on this episode. Diana, you just, you told your story so beautifully. I can tell that you've had practice in storytelling. (laughs) I'll also ask if you have any audio that you want to share for the podcast episode from your personal life. It could be with your kids, if you feel comfortable. That's just like kind of a fun way to make the story come alive even more. Um, You guys could talk about your, your animals that you connect with. Okay, sweetie, so what is your spirit animal? A gray heron. And how does the gray heron make you feel? Calm when I'm near it, or if I see one, it gives me a feeling of protection. You just listened to Dr. Diana Hill, a woman, mom of three, act therapist, podcaster of Psychologists Off the Clock, 
a coach online and co-author of Act Daily Journal. Find her at Dr. Diana Hill on Instagram or click on my show notes for ways to connect with Diana. As promised, Diana is giving away one free copy of Act Daily Journal that she co-authored with Debbie Sorensen. To get a chance to get a free copy of it, write a review of this podcast or share this podcast episode with a friend, and then send me an email or direct message on Instagram by August 30th, 2021. I'm going to randomly pick a name from those who have participated and send you a message. This is my commitment to spread the word about this work, disseminate acceptance and commitment therapy, to empower introverts and connect us all through story. Diana, thank you so much for making the space that you needed to share your story and your beautiful insights from your experiences as a parent. When we first spoke, I watched how powerfully this experience was for you, how you opened up and your willingness to share this story. It's just all a testament to how you have really done that work of leaning in and making space for discomfort because it matters. Sharing these stories bonds us all together because everyone can relate to discomfort in some way, shape, or form. And this way, we are all interconnected. We all have uncomfortable, sad, hard experiences, and the more we share, the more we realize that we are not alone in this. The exercise that we um, did earlier around breathing and making space, it's an important practice for me personally, and it's something that I do often to get in touch with what's going on for me, to recognize, label, and then respond to my own discomfort with kindness and compassion. As a parent, I'm offered this opportunity pretty much on a daily basis. And as a person who struggles with social anxiety, I'm offered this opportunity often, if not daily. And when I actually do that work, when I actually turn toward discomfort, when I make space for it, I am I'm amazed at what shows up. And I ask you this, what if you turn toward your discomfort, toward those screaming thoughts, those urges to run and hide and seek comfort, safety, silence? What do you find there? For me, I find a new relationship with discomfort. I find familiarity with it. I find that those rough, sharp edges of this discomfort softens just slightly. I find that I develop not only a little bit of tolerance for that discomfort, but also this new relationship and bond with others. I find a new relationship with those pesky, ever-present thoughts. And I find a new relationship with myself. Okay, honey, what's your spirit animal? Um, my spirit animal is a butterfly. And how does it make you feel when you see a butterfly? Um, makes me feel protected. And yeah, I feel protected and feel joy and I feel good when I see If you are interested in reaching out and telling your story, contact me on Instagram at actinspiredbehavior or at my website actinspiredbehavior.com. And if you're interested in learning more about receiving support in your journey of transformation, check out my service, Coaching for Vibrant Introverts, where I specialize in serving professional women introverts who struggle with self-doubt and social anxiety, and for those who are wishing to speak up, to be authentically present, and to take vital action in their lives. If that is you, I would love to hear from you. 
If this episode resonated with you, subscribe to this podcast and stay tuned for each new episode bright and early every other Wednesday-ish. <laughs> and perhaps you know someone who could relate to Diana or myself or who might benefit from this story because of what is going on in their life. If so, text them the link or share it with them on social media. Thank you so much. Hello again, I want to take a moment and say that this podcast is for educational purposes only. Content and conversation provided in this podcast should not be taken as or replaced professional or therapeutic recommendations. As a board-certified behavior analyst, my goal is to disseminate ACT and behavior analysis to the wider public and have meaningful conversations to further explore our understanding. If you are concerned about your own personal well-being, I encourage you to seek out the help of a licensed professional who can provide individual support to you. Thank you.